Good morning and good afternoon, depending on wherever you at the time of this recording. This is episode 83 of the Restricted Zone Podcast. I'm with a great group of guys today. Kyrie, introduce yourself, man. What's going on, fellas? Let's have a good episode. Let's get to it. A good episode on this. Core, introduce yourself, man. Yo, it's your boy, Young Core, back in here again. Young Core, Young 79. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, introduce yourself, man. Hello, world. Just Johnny tapping in, baby. Yes, sir. Johnny Tess. I've been talking all basketball today. We got an NFL topic coming up later on this week. But for today, strictly basketball. It's a lot to talk about, but we're going to dive right into it. We got to talk about the unfortunate news, obviously. Injuries have been playing a big part in this NBA season. Uh, Two of the most notable injuries we had discussed. Now, we're going to discuss this episode, our AD and Steph Curry. Uh, they're both big factors for the team, respectively. Uh, it's not that long ago in the last NBA episode, we discussed a young up-and-coming uh, point guard in Cade Cunningham, uh, potentially being out. Well, he's been confirmed he's out for the whole season. Uh, now we have a bunch of guys right here that are really impactful for the team, both being out. Uh, Corday, I want to swing to you first, swing to Kyrie. Just what's your thoughts on how Steph and AD's injury is going to impact the team, respectively, and what's it mean for the Lakers and Warriors moving forward? So uh, I'm going to start off with Steph. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, Steph uh, had a labrum injury in his shoulder where they're saying he has, like, struggle raising his shoulders up past his head, which obviously you have to do in order to shoot a basketball. They're saying, uh, as of right now, they don't think he needs surgery. But based off of reports, uh, they're saying they have to wait for, like, his pain and swelling to go down before they can even determine if he's going to need surgery or not. So they're saying that could take about maybe two weeks, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be fine. I don't think he needs a surgery. Um, they're saying all in all, hopefully he could be back within a month. Um, but man, you know, a, a team that just won a championship coming off of the defending title, they're, they're 10th in the West. You know, they, they've, they've been struggling. You know, for me, I thought, like, the Warriors are like a – they're one of those teams that if they start off slow or struggle, you don't you don't think about it. Like, it's not anything that worries you because they're a veteran team who has championship DNA. As long as they get to the dance, you know, they have a chance to win it. But losing arguably the best point guard of all time, their best player, uh, MVP candidate, is going to hurt them a lot. You know, Steph is a guy this year who's averaging 30 points a game with six rebounds to go along with seven assists, and he's on pace to have another 50-40-90. Uh, and he's also shooting 66% from the field on his true shooting percentage. So these guys are going to have to find a way, you know. They're, they're, they're going to need people to step up. You know, they're not going to look at a guy like Draymond Green to step up scoring the ball, but he needs to step up in other ways, like, you know, defense, leadership, rebounding, playmaking. A guy they really need to look to to step up is Jordan Poole. Uh, Jordan Poole, you know, he started the year off pretty slow, but he's been picking it up recently. He's averaging uh, 17 on the year. And, you know, his last couple of games, he, he came out, shot the ball pretty well. He had a game where he had 20, another game where he had 18, a game he had 36 to go along with five assists. So he, he has to carry a lot of the low while Steph is out. And uh, I think they're going to have to rely a lot on Andrew Wiggins to step up and do some uh, do some things for them. And that's all fair points that you made. Kyrie, I want to swing it to you. Uh, 
Uh, I think Corey made some pretty good points. Uh, do you agree with some of the statements that he made? And also, what's your thoughts on, um, well, if you know, Steph Curry and AD being out and, you know, how can they also stay winning? How can they continue their winning without the two, without the two stars, respectively? Yeah, so I'm not going to go into much on the Warriors because they pretty much covered them perfectly. I mean, Steph is having a monster season. Like you said, putting up 30 points, six rebounds, seven dimes, 50 40, uh, having a 50 40 90 shooting uh, percentage season right now. And Steph has really been the key catalyst in the Warriors uh, for the Warriors this season. Even though they haven't been successful, he's been the reason they won the majority of their games. And he's really been carrying them on their back. And, uh, it's it's not really surprising him having an injury at this point of the season because he's really he's been really putting himself on the line out there. He's really been playing hard because um a lot of guys really are stepping up to the task right now, and that's why the Warriors aren't as successful. But yeah, in order for them to keep winning, Corday also hit that on the head. They need to look to Jordan Poole, who's not really having the same efficiency uh efficient type of shooting season he was last year, which is another big reason why they're uh they've been lacking. But um once he starts to pick it up more consistently. And uh, he starts to shoot the ball better, and we see and we see him have games like he had a few nights ago where he just simply takes over and he puts up forty points. The uh, the Warriors definitely have a, a winning chance while stuff is out for the field. As far as Anthony Davis, the Lakers are in a much more grim situation because there's not even a lot of certainty around Anthony Davis's injury. Um, they from the report I've seen from Brian Winters, they don't know if it's an ankle sprain or a foot sprain which has me thinking, well, it might be a fracture, but they're saying he's going to be out at least a month, which is, uh, we know, it, we, we know it far too common with Anthony Davis. I mean, he has to, he misses chunks of season a year in a year out. And it shows these past few years, ever since the Lakers won that shit back in 20, ever, even then when Anthony Davis is dealing with injuries, they're just not the same team. They need him to be the best guy on the floor. In that that little five that five game uh, stretch where the Lakers were playing well and Anthony Davis was was having putting up monster numbers that showed, but um with him being out they're definitely really going to be handicapped. Um, LeBron hasn't been the healthiest this season. He's not getting any younger. They really haven't had many too many other bright spots outside of Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder here and there. But um yeah those those guys are in a much darker situation. They're both um in unfavorable positions in the West right now. But uh, I see the Warriors definitely uh, having more success through their stars injury. All right, that's pretty fair. The Warriors have more of a complete roster compared to the Lakers. Um, the Lakers are still fighting off. Um, uh, they, like Kyrie pointed out, uh, they had a short uh, run where LeBron and AD were like a monster combo. Johnny, just give me your thoughts. Um, in terms of who are you looking forward to step up for the Lakers and the Aston of AD uh, for them to avoid completely giving the Pelicans the number one pick and uh, the Warriors seem like to be completely fine but who are you looking to be that next star to take up for the Warriors since Curry would be out for the foreseeable uh, yeah for sure Um, real quick I'm not like as um as before I mentioned I'm not going to spend that much time on the Warriors they seem to have been through this world before continuously battle tested continuously have been in scenarios and they so, like, Jordan Poole just gave the Raptors, what, 43? And, um, <laughs> so he'll be playing alongside Clay, uh, Clay Thompson. Um, I think that's, uh, so the thing about that Steph injury, I think he, he was able to dodge, like, that he didn't, it was, it, it's not a significant injury. So he's out for, I forgot the time span they gave him, but I think they're, they're giving him, like, like a 12 game span. 
and whatever from what they're judging so far from the last that I read from the ESPN reports. Um, and so in those 12 games, basically the Warriors just basically have to go ahead without them, and I think that they will be fine, considerably, considerably noting, noting the fact that uh, Gary Payton's coming back uh, the second. Andrew Wiggins is coming back. Uh, they were already con- uh, they were already reported at practice, uh, I think, this past Friday. Draymond's back. I think Iggy's on his way back soon by next week. Um, so they do have people coming back. I think Kevon Looney could, could be returning as well. So, yeah, um, I think they'll be okay overall, and that's the main thing that they were missing. All those were defensive names I just dropped. A lot of defensive names, that's the main thing that they were missing over the past six weeks. They were number one in defensive rating most of the season when they first started. I think they dropped to, like, 17th, or they're, like, in the 20th right now at this point. So they desperately need those aforementioned, aforementioned names to bulk their defense up. And um, other than that, I think they will survive offensively the way Steve Kerr's wacky gambling rotation, small ball rotation seems to just work. Um, I think they'll be okay. AD's injury. Yes, I will agree. That's a whole horse of a different color. Me, personally, I will, I will say this. I give him credit. I will give him credit. He played this far. He was averaging two gave us 27 points a game, about 12 boards, about almost 60% off from the field shooting. I'll give him that. But here we go again, Anthony Davis. He just can't give you a sustainable amount of games for you to even compete as a franchise. So it's like here we are again. And now with the trade deadline coming up, um, me personally, I, I the way the Lakers were playing, even though he was performing, I think they should have already been putting him on a trade block. Like, go ahead and just jump ship now with him because at, at least a month ago you'd have been able to get something for him. Like, that's my personal opinion. Like, now people, teams are going to sit here desperate. They're going to sit. You're just you're you're, you're going to be getting this. You're going to be getting scrapped at this point. Um, because when he was performing, they weren't successful. So, um, but I mean, here here you are now. I mean, maybe the Jazz will bite. I mean, Miles Turner's available. The Bulls aren't playing bad. Maybe they can get some bites here and there. Um, but they're just going to have to take what they can get. Um, in my personal opinion, um, I think they'll go ahead and make a move for this trade deadline. But um, I think that's the most best possible scenario right now that they can get for him, especially given their, especially given their uh, cap space and things of that nature. I don't see them really having pieces that can go with AD that are really attractive to other teams. So oh. it's a little bit of a rough pass for them. All right. That's actually pretty fair. Yep. Yep. I'll make a quick, uh, another quick point on the Warriors real fast. One other thing I wanted, I meant to say about them was I think now is really the time we need to see Steve Kerr really start throwing the young guys out there some more and, and loosen I'm, up on at least a little bit. I'm glad you said I mean, that. Jonathan Kaminga, exactly. He showed you some flashes. He had a 24-point game. He had a nice game against Boston, banged on Jason Tatum. He showed, he showed he could do a lot of things. They stopped giving Moses Moody minutes for some reason. And Moses Moody is an efficient three-point shooter, and he's a lot better on defense than what he was advertised like coming out of Arkansas. And uh, lastly, uh, James Wiseman, the second overall pick from a few years ago, they had, they've had they had him buried in the G League. And my thing is, I understand you want Wiseman to get some more reps because he doesn't have a lot of basketball experience, uh, having only played three games in college and missing his, missing, uh, his, his sophomore season in the NBA. But I don't think I don't think uh, James Wiseman is unplayable to the point where you have to have him in the G League 
so often. Like, I feel like in times like this, you really have to start putting them out there. And Steve Curry even said it in the beginning of the season. I mean, he doesn't, he's not going to throw those guys out there because he doesn't want the mistakes to be made. They can't afford for mistakes to be made. But now they're in a position where they kind of, they got to, they have to extract some type of offense or some type of firepower from somebody. And it might just be one of them young guys. You never know. Hey, bro, uh, I don't think you're you're wrong necessarily about Wiseman, but in the little bit of time he he did he he has been getting, it hasn't been like productive minutes. Like he's had a lot of games where his plus minus is atrocious, and then like even the games in the G League, he had like a negative thirty three plus minus in the G League. So it's like I I I think it's because he hasn't had a lot of basketball experience. And he might not be getting the proper development, but he's a guy where when he does get his time on the court, I don't see him taking a lot of opportunities and chances to prove that he deserves more time. But also with him, his play style, I don't think fits the Warriors. Uh, he's a guy where he needs like his post touches, uh, some touches on the block, maybe some pick and roll touches, but we all know the Warriors benefit most from having a center who can set screens, set pin downs, catch lobs. You know, a center who just kind of does the dirty work and, and doesn't demand the ball. But at the same time, like how you guys were talking That's about good. the young guys, I would like to see more from Kaminga, and especially with Moses Moody. It's like sometimes he's in and out of the lineup. So Steph injury, that could be a, a bonus for those young guys. And another guy that's kind of concerning with the work, not concerning, but it's like sometimes I have no idea what they're doing with Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, it's like he's a guy where – Although he's Good young, <laughs> although he's young, he provides like veteran experience because he's been on a title team with the Bucks. Although he didn't play, he still knows what it's like to go throughout the playoffs and being in a winning locker room. Like the other game they played against Philly, he had, uh, I believe he had 15 at halftime and he started off shooting like four or four from three and he finished the game with 17 where he barely played in the second half. So it's like that. Well, he's that's familiar with that court. Uh, he's familiar with that court, Nova kid. Uh. Yeah, bro. <laughs> but it's it's like, man, I would like to see like him get some more playing time because he's a guy who has the ability to to create and make some shots. And and you know we're gonna still keep it on great points, Corey. You had brought up about Moses Moody too. He's another young guy. I've really been paying attention to with Kaminga. They actually got, uh, didn't they draft someone named Ryan Rollins too? Not that long ago, Kyrie from the draft. He's looking like a great Yeah, out of Toledo. He's been yeah. in the G League with, yeah, and, uh, other bull, Pat. I forget, I forget his name. Pat Baldwin. I'm still how I'm Pat Baldwin. Baldwin. Oh, yeah. yo, you guys know who else I think could benefit from, from this too? Uh, Ty Jerome. He got minutes the other night. And he looked pretty decent in those minutes he got against the Sixers. Ty Jerome's actually another one. He just needs – I don't think Warriors the team – I mean, it should be the team for him to really excel, but I think he needs a team where if he wants the best minutes – I mean, the best shot at winning getting the most minutes, it can't be on the Warriors. Yeah, I get I what really, you're saying, but some, some, sometimes, you're, sometimes like playing with veterans is the best way to see what, what someone has because those guys are experienced. Sometimes when you put – a young guy in who's trying to get better with inexperienced guys, it just doesn't make for a good mix of, for, for anyone. That's where Draymond comes in. He'll get him right. All right. So with that, we move on to the next topic of this episode. We, we're going to stay on the Lakers. We're going to stay on the West. Uh, Kyrie, this is something I want to swing to you. Uh, so the Lakers are looking to make a couple of moves. Well, who really knows what they're looking to do? But 
it's in their best interest to make a couple of roster moves. Uh, so the Lakers, they're not pretty sure on what they want to do with Russ, whether to trade him or keep him. Uh, Kuzma trade, uh, let's see what's in store for the Lakers. It seems like they got a plan. They got some options. They got some key guys in mind. Uh, just talk to me, Corey. Just what's your thoughts, uh, in terms of what the Lakers may have planned in terms of roster movement and construction? You want, you want me to go first or you want Kyrie to go first? I think I said Kyrie first. Did I yeah. not? Kyrie. Yeah, you said me first. Go ahead, Kyrie. I said Kyrie and Core. My bad. Two seats. No, you good, Kyrie. Got it, bro. Yeah, so I want to touch on the Kyle Kuzma trade first because uh, this is is funny because we kind of talked about it in our chat, guys. We were covered up with topics, and we were talking about what ifs in the NBA. And I mentioned what if the Lakers never traded uh, B.I. and and Lonzo Ball and stuff to the Pelicans for Anthony Uh Davis. And within that, I was kind of tying in what if the Lakers never traded Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell and stuff to the, to the Wizards for, uh, for, um, for Russell Westbrook never made that trade. And, uh, it's because I bet the Lakers do wish they had a lot of those guys back because when we think of the Lakers, when we look at the Lakers these past few seasons, what have we been saying? They're old and their play styles don't mesh. And I felt like having those a lot, of, like a lot of those young guys at times in bronze for a season when he did have a Lonzo, when he did have a Brandon Ingram, when he actually started breaking out, had a Kyle Kuzma. Those guys showed flashes of being able to keep up and play with Brian and play at a fast pace and play solid defense. So when we come to Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers reportedly trying to make a trade, come back, like, uh, make a trade for him to come back into LA. And Kyle Kuzma, according to the IG post, is, is kind of obliged. I mean, he's having a great season. I can see why the Lakers are running back because he's shooting the ball great from three. He's putting up 21 points and seven boards a game. And he's playing solid defense, switching on guys on the perimeter, playing down low. He's been a very, very nice blue guy, a uh, higher-end blue guy, I should say, for the Washington Wizards. Even though they haven't been the best so far this season, he's found a, he's found a, a way to mesh with guys like Christoph Porzingis and Bradley Beal that can really score the ball and that operate best with the ball in their hands. So... I think that would I, – I definitely believe that would be a great trade for Lakers because I never really felt like they should have got rid of him in the first place, to be honest with you guys. But um, as, as far as the Lakers, though, that I, I don't really see any – I can't really think of any trades that would get them out of, like, the mediocrity that they're in right now, especially with this Anthony Davis injury. Um, we touched on it a lot in the last episode. I said it. I think they need a true point guard and they need a real big man. But um, hey, if they're able to pull off a trade to get Kyle Kuzma, that that really be a good step in the right direction. Uh, and and I I don't really disagree with you on some of those parts. I feel like I don't know. Do the Lakers regret giving them Kuzma? Uh, is Kuzma a player you you kind of fret over? You give up when you give away. It's not like what is Kuzma highest potential, uh, Kyrie, in terms of that. Uh, the Brandon, I mean, we, we see, we seeing it right now. I mean, yeah, Kuzma's having a career season. Also, I think this could be his ceiling. I don't really see, I don't, Kuzma could be on the worst team in the league and possibly give you 25 a night, but we can say that about a lot of guys. He's putting up 21 right. a night with two 20 plus point per game scores. And that's the misconception with the NBA with some of these role players. They think because Man, some of these guys have gotten a certain amount of minutes in green light. Some guys do. You know, they're all NBA players at the end of the day. They got to have a certain amount of skill to get to the NBA. Hey, bro, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of glad. Uh, I don't want to get too, like, off topic. But I'm kind of glad you said, like, 
the words you use, role players, because there's a lot of people I talk to, bro, and they think like the word role player is a bad thing, bro. Like they're almost, really not. almost almost half the NBA is role players, bro. You have guys that are like superstars, where it's like that's their team. Then, bro, even guys who are all star players, all star caliber players, they're they're role players in certain aspects. Being a role player is not a bad thing. No, it's not. You should take pride. I mean, we've seen Jordan teams. Yeah, Jordan was the de facto, uh, you know, making the train move. But the role players, Steve Kerr, Horace Grant, uh, those guys made some key plays down the stretch during those playoff series. So uh, role players definitely have an important role. Corday, bring it to you now before I swing it to Johnny. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Lakers' rock, roster construction and uh, what ideas or what trades should they be making happening? Uh, for them to give Brian the best chance in winning that fifth that fifth title. We talked about it a little bit last week, so I'm not going to dive, like, too deep into it. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, their roster, bro, is, is lacking a lot of things, bro. It's lacking that, that creative playmaker we were talking about. It's lacking shooting. It's 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 lacking defense. Honestly, the, the roster is lacking youth. Um, But uh, before I even go into, like, the Kyle Kuzma rumors, uh. Did you guys see the report where it was like, I think it was the Athletic. They was like the Lakers are like unlikely to even trade Russell Westbrook this year, which to me is like, it, it's kind of crazy because it's like, is it the fact that he literally has no market at all? Or is it like they like him in that six man role? But it's like he, he he's an expiring deal. So I would picture that they'll try their hardest to get something in return for him where he could just leave a free agency next year. But, um, as for as for Kyle Kuzma, it's like, you know, Kyle Kuzma has been playing amazing. We touched on his numbers a little bit, you know, averaging 21 points. But it's like, he's cool and all, and it'll be a big addition. Like, he knows how to play with Braun and AD already. But it's like, is is he going to be an answer to all of their problems? No, it won't be at all. But it's a step in the right direction. Um, But it's like, my thing is, if you try to trade for Kyle Kuzma, what what is like what what do the Wizards want in return? Like what does a Kyle Kuzma package look like? Are the Wizards in full on like we're finally going to rebuild? Right. Is it like we want veteran players around Bradley Bill and Porzingis? It's like what 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 we have to know what the R- Wizards' direction is before they make a trade like that. And That's this is a trade. Um, I'm a I'm a. This is a question for all of you guys. But since Johnny hasn't spoken yet. Johnny, this is like mainly for you until we get to uh, Colin and Kyrie. So I came up with a trade on um, ESPN's Trade Center where it's like it works, but is this what the Wizards really want? So I have the Wizards getting Pat Bev and Max Christie along with a 2023 and a 24 second round pick for Kyle Kuzma straight up. Like, like do do do, do the Wizards do that? Like it it goes through, but is that something that interests Washington? You think? Well, I mean, so let's look at the Wizards. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. No, go ahead, Colin. What you wanted to say? I was no, to say. actually, no. Go ahead. You did talk. Swing the uh, core. Swing it to me. Go ahead, John. Well, I mean, shoot, that's actually part of my point. First of all, um, I want to say number one, heck to the no. But the reason why I'm saying heck to the no to that is because part of my part of my segment was actually going to be that. That was actually part of the point I was about to make. The simple fact that the Lakers, uh, those, those two offers, uh, Pat Bev and who was the other? Uh, I said Max Christie. Uh, the yeah. Rookie. So. Right. So the reason that's not Russell Westbrook anymore, and I definitely did hear that news as well. And that, and um, I'm not gonna lie. Um, the reason that, that the reason that West, Russell Westbrook isn't a part of that trade deal anymore 
is I don't I, me personally I don't think it's a good business deal. But the Lakers are actually kind of complacent with him than they are more with the other role players. And um, he is shooting forty percent this year, and he is averaging about fifteen points a game. But at, at this point, um, you I think his value has to go. I don't think in that specific nature right there. But as in uh, and another reason for that is because um, Kyle Kuzma was on the trade block with this team, the Lakers, for like like the whole time he was down, the whole time he was there. I think he was there for like three to four years. They was just playing with his head. Just even after he became an important world player and won that championship along Anthony Davis and LeBron, like they just continued to not give him that respect. So I don't I don't want to say it's personal with him, but I know that that's in the back of his head. And the fact that he is averaging about 21 points and seven boards, about four downs a game this year, um, which is probably, I think this is the most he's, he's probably the best he's playing in his career wise. I think that for them, for him to look at an offer like that would be even more of an insult to the fact of how he remembered his tenure was there. So another thing I was thinking of too was actually if Johnny kind of swayed my thought a little bit. I thought trading Kuzma and then they get in return. Who can you say the trade again, Corey? You said they who would they get in exchange? Uh, I Kuzma? said I said they're they're trading Pat Bev, Max Christie, and a twenty three and a twenty four second for Kuzma straight up. So I'm so I'm so this is how I'm looking at it. Well, first of all, the Wizards. So Kuzma is a three or four. He 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 switches between three, four, and two. So he'll probably play. I don't know. With the Lakers, probably the I don't know, man. The three, so, four. But, so, but they have Kuzma listed kind of like a, a four. So he's a four, right? They got him at the four. He is six eight six nine. Uh, you you trade him, but you get Pat Bev. The Wizards have Will Barton. I think the rookie they drafted Johnny Davis, and then who else they have? Monte Morris from the Nuggets. Yeah, um, Davis so. pretty uh, so far. Right, so I Pat Bev in that crowded backcourt, I, I that doesn't make any sense. What you are getting in return is the defense and definitely the hard working aspect of it. Uh, that's a plus. Always something you need in the locker room, but how does he necessarily fit into the overall scheme of? Because where what are the Wizards long term? They're not a championship exactly. team in any way, shape, or form. Bro, I feel like the Wizards are a team, bro. We talked about it a little bit last week. They're a team that's just stuck in being like. Me like mediocrity. Hey, exactly. The same the same spot that the Lakers are in. Exactly. So but I don't see this trade it's moving like, the needle. I feel like go ahead, go ahead, Colin. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't see the trade moving the needle for either one. I don't see either mm-hmm. one making a substantial progress with this trade. Like I initially thought before Johnny kinda of broke it down, I was able to get a prisoner of the moment type uh feeling that uh, out of me. But nah, I don't really yeah, I'm I'm co signing with Johnny on this one. I don't yeah. think I agree with Johnny, and it's like when I made that trade, it was like I'm sitting there looking like the Lakers don't really have many pieces, and it's like the guys like like for example Lonnie Walker, it's like he's been one of their best players this year, and it's like do they really want to trade him? So it's like 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 it's just a weird situation, bro. I don't think it moves the needle for both teams, but uh like like Kyrie, I want to get your opinion on like I said like I feel like a trade for Kuzma all depends on what the Wizards want to do. And it's like, although the Wizards, the Wizards probably should hit the reset button, I just don't see them doing that, especially while they have Bradley Bill on that enormous contract. Uh, that's... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see that trade happening. Um, one, mainly is because any trade, 
Well, one, I must, I'll say this. One, I agree with Colin with the crowded backcourt, backcourt aspect. They already have Monty Morris. They already have a bunch of guards back there. I don't think Patrick Beverly will really fit. I mean, Max Christie, I think that would be a nice piece that the, the Wizards could possibly be interested in. But they have a lot of young players that they're in the midst of developing themselves that they got some work, like they got to work on. Like Rory Hachimura, like when was the last time we heard his name? Um, yeah. Corey Kisper, Johnny Davis is down in the G League. They got some young guys. Yeah, they, they still have Danny Avdia too. Danny, exactly. So they have a lot of guys they got to um, they got to develop themselves. But go, but Corey, to the point you're making about uh Russell Westbrook not really gaining any trade uh traction. I wholeheartedly believe it's because one, when you have, when you're taking on a play with that big contract like that, how he's producing, you want a first round draft pick attached with that. And exactly. the Lakers simply don't really have that to give up. Yeah, I, I can see that being a thing because it's like, like, uh, a lot of teams when it's an expiring contract, they're willing to take on that salary for a draft pick. And I just don't see the Lakers attaching one of their first round picks to a, a trade that could give them like potentially like Al Kuzma. Like, Kyle Kuzma, like Kyle Kuzma is worth a first rounder? No. <laughs> no. And then next three are tied up with the Pelicans. They don't have the control of their own until like 2026, 2027. So. Yeah. And it's like those, those picks are so coveted because it's like the future, nobody knows the future of if LeBron is going to be there or not. Like they could be a terrible team by the time that draft pick comes up. And I, and I thought that was weird because we said we did a, I, I did this in a segment before. I said this previously, one of our previous shows. I, I, the late LeBron actually had a say in the Lakers offseason moves this past summer and no moves were making what were taken or no big moves are taken by the Lakers. And I'm looking like I, I'm pretty sure LeBron had an influence to, to some extent in that front office and for him to not care. Like that's weird. But what team have we ever seen LeBron on where there's no shooters? But I, you know, we previously covered this. And one more thing about the Russell Westbrook thing. In addition to the points that you guys are making, I think that's probably part of the reason that those rumors of, um, cause they were, they were thinking of a Westbrook bill, straight up trade. And I think the Wizards probably said heck no to that for similar reasons that you guys mentioned as well. So the Lakers, like they overpaid, but at the same time, he's shooting 40%, 15 points a game, which is pretty probably the worst of his career, but they're kind of getting something out of him more. Than they are than the Pat Bevs and the Kendrick Nuns of the world. So whatever, you know. Well, I feel like too. Like I don't know, bro. With the Lakers, when it comes to like like adjusting their roster, I feel like they missed their opportunity, bro. Like with that Pacers trade, bro. Like uh, at the time when they was talking about the Pacers trade of Buddy Hield and Miles Turner, and bro, I'm trading my first round pick for that. That trade, as long as LeBron and Anthony Davis is healthy. Miles Turner and Buddy and Buddy Hill to me turned that team into a team that could compete for the title. Uh, I feel like they missed their opportunity. Buddy Hill. I, I like it. I like uh, it. I, I feel like they missed their opportunity to reconstruct this roster when they declined that trade. Well, let's see what the Lakers got in store. I think you well, let's just end it off for this topic, uh for this particular topic before we move on to the next one. Do you think the Lakers are playoff bound this this um, season or no? It for me, I will say I will say it depends on how many games Anthony Davis miss. But I will say they have with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they have too much talent. I feel like to miss the play in, so I, I think they're playing bound maybe. But right. playoffs, I cannot guarantee you that whatsoever. Okay, Kyrie, what's your thoughts? 
No, they just don't got the roster to do it. They just don't got the roster. Johnny, are you co-signing it? We're, we're like two for all right now. I'm I'm co-signing. Make it, yeah, I'm co-signing with Kyrie. Not only do, do they not have the roster, but as far as the future, they don't have the cap space. I'll give them a play-in tournament maybe in two years or maybe next season. In two years. That's how we're, all right, so that's the Lakers' future and the perspective of the restricted zone crew. Moving on to the next topic. It was a big, actually, I wouldn't call it a big trade, uh, core. Uh, I would just say it was a trade that was shocking. Uh, uh, Tyrese Halliburton was traded to the Pacers for Sabonis. Uh, a lot of people gave the Kings a lot of smack, uh, including myself. Uh, I just couldn't understand why you trade Tyrese Halliburton. I thought he's playing well with the Pacers too. Phenomenally well. Uh, career highs and three point percentage, uh, in terms of three point percentage, uh, field goal percentage, free throw percentage. He's passing the ball a lot more. Uh, he's just been phenomenal for the Pacers. I think they're the 760 in the playoffs right now. Uh, I believe him and Miles Turner formed a deadly duel. Uh, the Kings are actually playing pretty well to a certain extent too. I mean, there's actually some legitimate expectations for them making the playoffs. Uh, granted, uh, their highest ceiling, in my opinion, is the seventh seed or eighth seed, but if not, play in tournament too. Just what's your thoughts about this trade so far? Rarely do we get trades that both teams walk away with, uh, feeling confident in their respective minds that they made the best team. And, uh, they're both excelling with the new acquired players. Just give me your thoughts on that, Corey. Almost, you know, almost a year later, I can say now I'm a firm believer that it was actually a win-win for both teams. Um, me at the time of the trade, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, bro, the Pacers just fleece the Kings. Like, although Sabon- so Sabonis is an all-star caliber player, it's like, bro, the future um, potential of Tyrese Halliburton was off the charts. But now that, like, the trade happened and stuff, it's like, I realized uh, Halliburton wasn't going to be able to grow into his full potential playing alongside Darren Fox. They're both guys who are not not like ball demanding, but Darren Fox is a guy where it's like, especially last year and early on in his career, where if he didn't have the ball creating, he was kind of one of those just stand around guys. Like he he wasn't too particular in playing off the ball, and uh, I feel like not saying him and Fox would have been able to coexist, but we wouldn't have been able to see Halliburton at his full potential. So now sitting here almost a year later, um. I think it's a win-win for both sides. Uh, the way I view it is the Pacers, they got a player who could be a cornerstone of their franchise. Halliburton, to me, he's been an all-star this year. He's been nothing short of amazing. He's averaging 19.8, basically round that up to 20. Uh, he's averaging four four rebounds to go along with uh, 10.5 assists. The Pacers, at the time of the recording, uh, I believe they're 15 and 14, which is currently seventh in the East. Um, he has a really competitive basketball, man. While the, it's weird because they're in somewhat of like a rebuild and a reset, but it's enough talent around him and he's good enough to make them competitive and potentially be a playoff team in the East. And, uh, as for the Kings side of it, the Kings got a guy who's, uh, like an established all-star. I believe he's a, Sabonis is what, a two, three-time all-star. Um, he, he's a guy who, he does a little bit of everything. He could handle it. He could pass it. He could shoot it. He's not the greatest defender, but he's one of those guys where he does give effort on the defensive end, and he's also a good rebounder. Um, the Kings, man, they're off to, like, 
their best start in in forever. Uh, at the time of this recording, uh, their record I believe is fifteen and twelve, which is best, which is six seed in the uh in the East, which that that's a playoff spot. Whether they get in on the playoffs or play in, either way, that's that's a W for a King for a Kings team who has the longest playoff drought in the NBA. Um, Sabonis, so you know he leads the Kings in rebounds per game, averaging uh eleven. And what what's my boggling to me is with Darren Fox on the team. He leads them in assists. He averages six and a half assists per game, which is quite amazing, like I said, considering Darren Fox is on the team. And he's also giving them 17 points to go along with those 11 rebounds and six assists. And he's shooting 69% on true shooting from the field, which is incredible. So it's a bonus of like he's on his way to another all-star appearance in a stacked East. So I, I view it as a win for both teams. Both teams are winning. Both teams have players that can help them win in the right now and, and guys that they could help that can help them, uh, you know, in future, in the future with the right pieces around them. So I, I think it's a good trade for both teams almost a year later. Kyrie, so just tell me exactly uh, your thoughts about the trade uh, and tell me why uh, it worked out so well in your opinion, respectively. Uh, in terms of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and Sabonis. Yeah, so I had the pretty much the same. We did the episode right after Colin. Remember, I pretty much had the same reaction Core did. Like, I completely thought Indiana robbed the Kings. I didn't understand the trade whatsoever. But Core breaking it down like that and pretty much explaining it to us how Tyrese Halliburton wasn't going to be able to reach his, uh, his full potential next to De'Aaron Fox. Because because how uh, De'Aaron Fox doesn't really play off the ball and wouldn't have really benefited well, I completely understand that and I do get that and it, it pretty it puts things in a in a different perspective for me. But I also have been watching the Kings a little bit this season too and they are playing well with the bonus like uh, Cormac he's putting up seventeen eleven he's taking less shots um per game but the but the way Mike Brown is running it he they're running a lot of sets and a lot of plays through him which is uh why he has that big increase in his in his uh in his in his assist totals. But um on the Pacers side, Tyrese Halliburton, I definitely feel like the way he has the way he's like easily messed into this like with this team and with this roster and, and just how his play style has them winning games. I definitely think this edge of Indiana in my opinion as the winner in this trade, not by a long shot, but I definitely think they did get the better end of this trade because you have some, you now see you have an all-star long-term that can give you 20 and 10 a night and make guys around you better. We've seen the ascension of, of uh, Benedict Mathurin with Tyrese Alleyburn. We've seen Buddy Hill um, continue to play, continue to play better, uh, meshing in with Indiana with Tyrese Alleyburn. Um, towards the end of last season, we, we've seen Chris Duarte playing well alongside him. So he's just a guy that can bring a team together and have everyone play as a cohesive unit. They lost a few, they, uh, they dropped a few games recently, but I definitely, but that comes with being a, a young team. I think it was three, a three game losing streak they're on, but that comes with being a young team. I definitely think they'll get it together and they'll be a, a strong team in the East. Another thing I wanted to point out as well as to why I think Indiana is the winner of this trade though. Um, in the long run is because the bonus that has only, uh, is a free agent in 2024. The Kings traded for him knowing that he had two years left on his contract. And Tyrese Halliburton does as well. But he's on his rookie deal and has been on record saying how much he loves Sacramento and how much he'd want to be 
a part of their team going forward. Could that have changed? Yeah. But I've definitely seen Tyrese Halliburton, if this trade never happened, being a Sacramento King for a long time and being successful there as well. Back to Sabonis, he's a free agent in 2024, and I could definitely see a situation where if the Kings, despite this hot start that, they, that they've that they had, um, a, a seven-game win streak in November, much better defense than we've seen the past few years, I can see a situation where the talent in the West just overtakes them and they possibly miss the playoff or they get in uh, slightly by, like, by a playing situation. And Sabonis not really seeing the longevity of this team alongside with the uh, the ascension of Keegan Murray that I predict. Keegan Murray has, uh, has been playing nice as a rookie, putting about 13 points a game, um, six rebounds, been defending well. I also think that could be a key factor in possibly pushing Sabonis out of Sacramento in 2024. So that's why I say long term, I think Indiana won this getting Tyrese Halliburton. And, and I don't disagree with you, Kyrie. I don't disagree with it. So, Johnny, uh, I'll listen, Johnny, talk to me. Uh, when it comes to the Kings, uh, and the Pacers, what do you think their ceiling is this season and what they could be in the next five years, uh, from this trade? Uh, how much does this trade dictate in terms of their success in the future? Uh, well, I tell you what, ask me again in five years, and I'll have a direct answer for you. But as far as right now, I have to agree with uh, – um, I have to agree with Core. Um, I definitely hear what Kyrie was saying, and I get – and part of my – you know what, I, I, I will partly agree with Kyrie in the extent that the way the game is, it's more guard-based. So I, in that extent, in that I, I will agree with him to that extent. I got to say, though, as far as Core, he's 110% correct. I agree with him a little bit more because as far as I can't tell, because they, I think both teams won. Um, I think they both got the exact player that they needed for whatever they, whatever system or whatever fit that they have or whatever style that they had to play for their team. And, um, so, I mean, shoot, it's funny. I mean, when you think about a topic like this, like the thing I, the first thing I thought was, well, you know, how was it when they first played each other? I mean, shoot. The first time that I think it was back in March 23rd, but Sabonis, Sabonis didn't play. The, the Kings took it by one, but Halliburton had a great night. He, um, he had, um, he had a rough shooting night, but he did have like 15 assists, but Sabonis didn't play with knee injury. And so they played again this past November 30th. And if that was more of like a team effort for the Kings, they dropped 137 points on the Pacers. Um, uh, Halliburton had 10 dimes, nine points. I mean, Sabonis had 11, seven and 10. Flirting with a triple-double, but that was more of a night for, like, five Terrence and Barnes. Uh, Terrence Davis had a good night. So it was hard to judge off of that. So the way I looked at it is um, who's really, like, what team is thriving more? And that was hard to judge it by as well because Tyrese Halliburton, I think he's still leading the league in assists. Um, if not, he's definitely top three. I think he's still number one, but – um, I've been raving about him since the summer. We've done multiple segments and I've been, I've, I've multiple, I've, I've mentioned this kid multiple times as one of my favorite low key young stars. Hey, I'm just mad that Chris Duarte is hurt for the Pacers because that's another kid that I can't wait to get on the court with Halliburton and see what those cats can do together. But Sabonis is one of my favorite big men. I've, I've said it before. I've, I'll say it again. I am old school. I'm an old school. Uh, style. I, I I believe in the old school mindset. I miss I miss the old school NBA where the big men ran everything. 
and things were ran by the big man. Like Sabonis, he's just an old school big man with just a sprinkle of new age with that jump shot. But I tell you what, he can get he he's in the everything that was mentioned before. He's in the paint. Um, he he's shooting sixty two percent. Obviously, he's shooting close to the shots, but at the same time, he's he's averaging almost seven dimes. Um, uh, rebounds. I think he's up almost at ten a game. Um, this this cat he he's been producing since he came into the into the league. I think a second generation player. Um, and you saw his, how his dad played. I don't want to speak on my age, but I think his dad played for the Cavs, and his dad was pretty pretty big, but he was very very light footed, very very quick footed. Arbita Sabonis, and uh, he had a underrated jump shot, but I can see. Yeah, he had a couple years on the Pacers too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, the Blazers. The Blazers. I'm sorry. Okay, Blazers. There you go. And and Sabonis, he's not playing like his dad, but he's he's got a little. He's pretty quick footed himself for his playing style as a big man. So as far as I'm concerned, I give it a tie. Ask me in five years. Both these young kids are balling. Both of them are the main reason that their teams are off to excellent starts. And like it's 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 just crazy how some trades can happen. Like some trades are just good fits. Like we were just speaking recently in the older in, in before segment about the Lakers trying to figure out what fits were good for them. How about this fit, guys? Probably one of the best trades as whereas though like both teams prevailed. That's true. I can't disagree with any of the takes you made so far, Johnny. You made some real great points. Uh this is one of those trades that uh it rarely happens with both teams able to walk away with a massive benefit and uh and like I said, I'm happy for both franchises, happy for both of them, especially the Kings. Maybe they could take that next step into making the playoffs. But now we move on to a very important type of discussion, something that kind of raised a few eyebrows. Uh, Johnny, I want to keep the focus on you before I swing at the court. Uh, Joel Embiid made some comments after a win about some fans uh, that want Embiid to be traded. Uh, now, I can surely... I haven't met a Sixers fan yet as of now. Uh, at the time of this date, that wants Joel to be traded, I think our biggest fear as a franchise is him asking for a trade because of the incompetence of the the management. Um, just give me your thoughts on uh, Embiid and his future with the Sixers. Huh. Well. Personally, I, I listen to sports radio, and I think it's the sports radio fans. It's just one sports radio fan in particular. I will keep his name out of it. But he has been calling for Embiid and Ben Simmons' head for the past three seasons. And Ben Simmons is gone, and this guy is starting to make head waves. I, w- I wish I could personally blame him so bad, but I can't be biased. i got to stay, got to keep it <laughs> analyzed. But with that being said, um, me personally, as a Sixers fan, we do this, okay? We do this. I do not think we would do this here, all right? And when I say we do this, I mean we, 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 the Andre, Andre Iguodala, Drew Holiday, uh, 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 players of that nature that we just ship off before they get a chance to develop or players that we just ship off unknowingly and they still go on to be successful, if not more successful, then, you know, they, who knows how they would have been if they, if we had kept them. I, we do have that, a little bit of that stigma in my personal opinion, being a local Citrus fan. I do not think we are that crazy. How many 50 point performances has our guy had, Colin, this year? I think two so far and counting. 
He has um, so far as that. I think the last one, I think he dropped 59, I believe. Just recently. Absolutely. Um, now, at the end of the day, I am a firm believer in getting it right. Um, I think he just feels like, um, I, I think he just feels like, I think this is just Philly being Philly, um, which is, I do want to question that. Um, I think it's rumors, right? But I think the rumors came from local areas. But the thing is, this is what we do. This is what local Philadelphia fans do. They always put the blame on the best player instead of where it belongs. We have done segments before where we have spoke on the same thing time and time again with the Sixers. And our problem, like the most you can probably say that you had a problem with Joel Embiid was his quote-unquote injury status, and even that I disagreed with. But I will tolerate that defense. But everything else, in my personal opinion, and if you've spoken of before, has been centered around him. Bench and coaching. Bench and coaching. And overplaying players that are underperforming. And we just, but what we do is we put the, we put the blame on the best player for some reason. I don't know why we're doing it here with Embiid. I don't think it should be taken seriously. I'm keeping my fingers crossed because all I got so far on this is just like Twitter rumors. And you know how people get with those Twitter fingers. But statistically speaking, it would be insane. Uh, futuristically and financially speaking, it would be like, I, for lack of a better word, even more insane. So with that being said, but that this is what we do, Colin. You know how we, we get in our feelings and we always blame it on the best player for some reason. But yet and still, Tobias Harris is keeps living, and I will say it, and I will say it again. All right, I'm going to say it. Toby, you have yet to earn your money. I don't care what you did when Harden and Beat and Maxi was out. You kind of did okay, but right now, at the end of the day, he keeps flying under the radar. Doc Rivers, horrible coaching Coaching mm-hmm. plays and situational coaching keeps flying under the radar. Wait, hold on, oh, hold on, Johnny. Core unmuted the mic a quick second after you made a particular comment. Go no, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm there now. Bro, listen, Johnny, me and you, we locked in, bro. You hit the nail on the coffin, man. Uh, before I even go into the whole Joel and B thing, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, bro. Doc Rivers, man, he's. He's a big part of, of to me, what's holding this team back from competing for a championship. He's he's a good regular season coach. He'll get you regular season wins, but when it's time to start winning and when it's time for the playoffs, he gets outcoached too much. There's no reason why we're in 2022 going into 2023, and this is a guy who still struggles to beat a full-court press, a guy who still struggles to draw up plays to, to beat a zone. It's it's just inexcusable, bro. I was never a fan of the hire when we when we first hired Doc Rivers. He and the thing is, as soon as he got dropped from the Clippers, I I knew we were going to put our bin in our Doc Rivers. I'm I'm it's, it's more problems along with the team, but Doc Rivers to me is it's, it starts with the coaching, bro. Like to me, Doc Rivers is the main problem. I, I'm not a Doc Rivers guy myself. Well, I think that's the sentiment. Nick- who Mike Malone, Nick Nurse, like Eric Sprostra, like who, who who's the who's the coach for the Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, Tell, even, Taylor, Nick, even Nick Taylor McMillan, uh, even Nick McMillan, no shit. I like it. Mike Brown for for Christ's sake. Sorry, children's show, but still, anybody but Doc Rivers. We miss we we like all the Doc Rivers. Gee, bro, wait. It's like go ahead, Colin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, actually, go ahead, Corey. Because I'm going to ask Kyrie a question. Go ahead. 
Bro, and it's like, bro, it's like with Doc Rivers, bro, like let's let's look for example, Toronto. Toronto, they're a team who prides themselves on zone. They're a great defensive team, and Nick Nurse is an amazing coach. And you will have a lot of people who will say in his career relatively, Toronto has probably done the best job at guarding Joel Embiid, which I wouldn't disagree with. But at the same time, Joel Embiid has had two coaches who struggles to break a 3-2 zone. Like, that's that that's inexcusable. You have to be able to counter-react to what the other team is doing. So a, a lot of the reasons why a team like Toronto does a good job guarding Joel Embiid is because Joel Embiid has had Brett Brown and Doc Rivers, two coaches who are terrible at X's and O's, two guys who are always getting out-coached, two guys who are terrible when it comes to in-game strategy. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just terrible to me. Uh, and, and you guys made some fair points, Johnny, and especially Corey. You guys made on two points about this particular, uh, about the Sixers overall. Uh, I just want to ask Kyrie. This is before I swing into the next topic. Kyrie, uh, you hear the complaint from us Sixers fans. We're very unsatisfied with Doc Rivers, uh, the man that had that has one championship based off four Hall of Famers. Uh, with a bit of help and a great amount of defense from Tom Thibodeau as the assistant coach. Uh, if you was a general manager and you look and you realize you had to make some changes, what coaches are you looking at? We got some great examples. Corey and Johnny presenting it from Nate McMillian to Nate Nurse to, you know, but let's, what coach would you be looking for to take over this team? To steer the boat? Um, that's, you a, like that's a hard question. I honestly don't really think a coach would change it outside of my own team, but Tibbs is on my good side right now. Um, I really, I really couldn't tell for you guys. I really wouldn't. Wait, you can swing it. Tell you, I'll tell you what I would do roster wise. Like, right. Roster wise, one, I feel like you guys need a legitimate big man behind Jamal and B. Um, a guy that's usually a guy that's always available. A guy that can run the floor, and not a guy that can rebound and, and, and man the paint to give Joel and be this because, like you guys mentioned, the Sixers have a problem with overplaying their stars. They overplay Joel and B. They run him into the dirt. They run Tyrese Max into the dirt. They run James Harden into the dirt. And um, the reason they do it though is because their bench pieces are so hit or miss sometimes. I mean, Shake Milton had a really good streak, but I haven't really seen much of him lately. Um. Matisse Thibel haven't really seen much of him so far this season. Jordan Yang is, is, is a good spot, a three point shooter, but that's pretty much it. Um, I think the Sixers need to look uh, look to make some moves around the trade deadline. Again, I don't know what those moves are really be, but one, I think they need, I think they need guys that play good team defense because they have a lot of guys that play good individual team defense, but not that they need guys on the wings that can plug in holes, that can shoot gaps, and that can make up for other guys' mistakes. And uh, really, really put the shut teams down from scoring when they have to because in clutch moments the Sixers give up a lot of points. Coming out of halftime, coming out of breaks and stuff like that, the Sixers really give up a lot of points. They give up a lot of easy baskets on little stuff, knocking it back on defense, complaining to the refs after after non calls. It's just little stuff like that. The Sixers really need to clean up to be uh, to kind of reclaim themselves. I feel like in the upper echelon. Uh, I agree with, um, with you, Kyrie, on, like, uh, needing more, like, perimeter defense and stuff and making moves. But my thing is, like, I'm not too sure, like, who can become available for, like, 
for that role of perimeter defense. Maybe like a wholesale, like Alex Caruso or something like that. But you have I to make thought solid of, um, the DJ like, from the uh, from the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, that would be nice. But then again, it's yeah, like. It's like you need the money to extend him at the same time. I mean, you have so much money tied into uh, uh, Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, and then you still have to think uh, Tyrese Maxey is going to be extension eligible, and there's no reason why they would pay Tyrese Maxey. But uh, I, I would like to see uh, I would like to see them potentially like um, get if we can't get a defensive guard, I would like to see us get a scoring guard like a. a like a Jordan Clarkson or Eric Gordon or something amongst the lines of that, so we don't have to rely gotta on help, so much. Yeah. Got to help out Anthony Melton. Got to help out Anthony Melton yes. in that bench. You do. I don't want. I, I like the idea of one thing. I will give Doc credit for is he always leaves Harden or Maxi in the game at all times when, when the other is on the bench. But it'll be nice to have pressure taken off of both of them so they don't have to carry the load of scoring and assisting in the backcourt next to Melton when the second unit comes in. So I will look at a guy, like I said, like a Jordan Clarkson or Eric Gordon, just full-on make the Philadelphia Rockets. But um, I didn't really touch on, like, the Embiid rumors or whatever because you hit the nail on the coffin. But uh, I feel like it's it's just media speculated, bro. I feel like Embiid knows that, like, this is a city where he knows how the fans are. If you're not playing well, they're going to boo you. They're a city to quick to turn their back on you. But I think Embiid also knows that this this city has a lot of love for Joel Embiid, and, and he knows that. Uh, Joel Embiid is a guy who embodies the city and the fan base. He's a guy who, who loves the criticism and stuff like that. So I feel like a lot of it, and Joel's a troll. I feel like a lot of it is just media space. Yeah, I'm about to, he'll, yeah, you got to love him, man. He'll drop 40 and then troll the player he dropped 40 on. Yeah, he he's just a troll. Um, but me as a Sixers fan, I'm not sure if you've done it. Um, everybody would like to think that their best player, you know, stays on the team their whole career. But I fully brace myself for the day Joel Embiid requested a trade. Uh, I feel like it could be potentially this summer, depending on how the season goes. If we're another second round exit, because Embiid's a guy you could tell he he truly wants to win, man. So I could see maybe this summer him requesting a trade. You never know; anything's possible. But it's all just media speculation. There was fans a couple years ago, I believe uh, 2020, that was screaming for him to be traded because, you know, he was in and out the lineup, playing a little inconsistent. And Ben Simmons, who was on the team at the time, had arguably the best year of his career where he was first-team All-NBA. He was third-team uh, He was third team All-NBA, first-team All-Defense. Uh, he had that stretch in February before, like, uh, the pandemic hit where he was scoring, like, 22, 10, and 8. And I could I could fall victim to I never wanted and be traded, but I was one of those fans. I won't lie, I was one of those fans saying if you have to pick between the two, you pick Ben Simmons just because Embiid's the better talent. But I was just saying Simmons due to longevity, um, because of Embiid's prior injury history, and we touched on it a little bit earlier. It's a guards league where although Ben can't shoot, he'll be he's a guy who will be able to run the show. And I was wrong. Uh. You don't do that. Embiid, I feel like he'll be here for the long run, but anything's possible in, in, in sports. It's a business. Not sure if it's anything else you guys want to touch on with that. No, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's pretty uh, – that is sports. Uh, I and I can't believe it. I, back then, it was a debate. Who would we rather have? Would you rather have Embiid or would you have 
Simmons. Because at the time, MB seemed real injury prone, almost AD like injury prone. It seemed like Ben was the one that was, you know, in terms of, you know what they say, availability is the greatest ability. It seemed like Ben was always here. So good thing that uh, we didn't pull the trigger and actually went ahead and did that. That has been a massive regrets. We already got plenty of massive regrets in terms of draft selections. We don't need more in terms of trading rosters. Get you you agree with that core or you feel like, eh, maybe I'm giving them too late. Uh, nah, I agree with that. One thing I kinda wish was uh I wish you know, uh I have no shame in sitting here and admitting as a Philly fan. I was a big Ben Simmons guy. Although Joel is and always was the best player on the roster. I was Ben Ben was always my favorite player on the team. And the year, I believe, when we first got Doc Rivers, I believe, what, 29 or 2021? 20, 20, I believe. Uh, I, was, I was one of those guys when, like, the Harden rumors first came up saying, like, you know, I know it's James Harden, but, you know, let's, let's, let's ride it out going to the season with Ben. Let's see, let's see what happens. And, you know, we wound up coming out strong, being first seed that year. But one thing I wish they did was maybe pull the, pull the James Harden trade a year earlier. I know he wanted up going to Brooklyn, but according to him and, you know, Daryl Morey and stuff, he's been trying to come to Philly ever since we first got Morey. So it was like, I wish they would have pulled the trade a year earlier, but in hindsight, they all, all sides got what they wanted. So I'm just glad that, it, that yeah. it happened that we could all just move on from the situation. Yeah, I heard that. That's probably part of the reason we got in trouble for tampering. I hate the league. Yeah, right? <laughs> Those draft picks mean nothing now, though. And that's and that and we move and that's actually some great points by Johnny. Can't really uh, disagree with that one. So we move on to the last topic of the episode. Man, the Pelicans, New Orleans Pelicans, uh, they're in an interesting position. Uh, in one hand, if the Lakers do as bad as they are supposed to. Yo, Colin, you good? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got I hear you now. Yeah, Sorry about the little internet, internet interruption. Uh, but the Pelicans are in a really interesting position. On one hand, the Lakers do as bad as they're supposed to. They get the number one pick, a.k.a. Victor. Uh, and if they are, um, is what they were touted as coming into the season, uh, well, can they compete for that title? But the Pelicans, I mean, listen, what's their ceiling? Uh, we look at the roster, we look at Zion, we look at Ingram, we look at McCollum, we look at Dyson Daniels, Jonas Valanciunas, Herb Jones, Devontae Graham, we're looking at Jose Alvarado, we're looking at these pieces. What are we making of the Pelicans, uh, this year, maybe the next two years? Go ahead, Kyrie, talk to me. Playoff team, champion, aspiration, what are we looking at for the Pelicans? I told you since last season, I'm a believer in the Pelicans. Currently 18 and 11, third in the West right now, and uh, seven and three in their last ten. And I told you guys a few years, a few, a few years, a few episodes ago. I think Willie Green going to take home coach to the year, and just because I'm, and here's why this goes with my main point. Whereas I made uh, that last episode saying. Willie Green is really good at with playing without guys and playing with guys that are out of the lineup and just making things happen and just putting guys 
that aren't used to getting a whole bunch of minutes in the right positions to, to win games and to play well. So with Brandon Ingram missing these last few games, I think it looked like a leg injury or something. Zion Williams has been playing well. We seen the essential to Trey Murphy. Um, shooting, shooting like 39% from three right now is absolutely scorching. CJ McCollum hasn't really been in the same self scoring, but I, this is the best I've seen CJ McCollum play as a playmaker. And that's something I really questioned when he first got to, uh, when he first got to New Orleans. How would he play as playmaker with these guys? All right. Uh, uh, core. So what, what happened, Kyrie? Go ahead. Oh, you couldn't hear me, bro? No, yeah, I didn't. Just a little bit, but we can hear you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I was just saying, like, their just ability to play without guys in the lineup and just uh, winning games without Brandon Ingram in the lineup, winning games without Zion Williamson in the lineup, and guys just stepping up. Like, Jose Alvarado had, like, eight or nine threes a few weeks ago at his career high. Um, like we this- seen Trey Murphy. You say again? Didn't he have, like, 39, 38? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he had, like, 38, 39 points or something like that. I think that was on the Suns, too, if I'm not mistaken. He was given, yeah, he was given, no, it was, I think it was Denver. He was given Jamal Murray. It was Denver. Murray. You're right. You're right. It was Denver. It was Denver. He was Jamal Murray that worked. Yep. But they also had, they also got like Swiss Army knife guys, Herb Jones. He's been in and out of the lineup, but when he's in, he's their, t- he's one of their top defenders. He makes stuff happen. Good playmaker, good sh- uh, spot up shooter. Dyson Daniels, the rookie uh, from G League Ignite. Really good on-ball defender. He's getting more comfortable playmaking out there. I think the Pelicans just have, from top to bottom, have one of the deepest rosters in the NBA. And even when they have guys that are out, like which is inevitable, injuries are inevitable. We're going to see it with Bi. We're going to see it with Zion. We're going to see it with CJ down the line. But they just have guys that are ready to step in and make up for their for their absences. And I think when I look at the West, like honestly, guys. Only two, the, the only few teams that stand out to me really, I'm still iffy on the Suns just because they don't have that same type of resilience that I'm talking about with the Pelicans. When Chris Paul is out, it hurts them. When Devin Booker's out, it hurts them. You can see that. The only team I really, I'm really like keen in on in, in the West right now is the Grizzlies and the, and the Denver Nuggets outside of the Pelicans. And, um, they won, I'm pretty sure they won games against them both. And uh, I, I think they're going to continue making noise in the West. I definitely think the Pelicans are a team worth buying into right now. Um, I agree with that. I'm going to just jump uh, right in with my points. Uh, so, you know, uh, the Pelicans, you, you mentioned it. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're 11-8 and eight overall, which I believe is second, second in the West, I believe. Um. If there, there's some things I want to hit on, like some, some numbers. So just bear with me because it's, it's going to be a lot. Uh, they're, they're like top 10 in every category. They have an offensive rating of 115, which is fifth best in the league. They have a defensive rating of 110, which is sixth best in the league. So they have a top, a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. They have a net efficient rating of 5.2, which is currently the third best in the NBA. And they average 26.9 assists as a team per game, which is currently seventh in the best, uh, best in the NBA. I'm sorry. And the thing is, they get a lot of assists from their top guys. You touched on it earlier. I wasn't too sure how CJ McCollum was going to play as the point guard and the playmaker when he first got to uh, the Pelicans, but he's, he's proved to me that he can do it. He hasn't been, shooting the ball quite efficiently as he once did in Portland. 
But I feel like that just comes with his new role of being like the point guard and playing with the likes of Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Uh, I just want to touch on the fact that you have C.J. McCollum, who's averaging six assists. You have Zion Williamson, who's averaging four assists. You have Brandon Ingram, who's averaging 4.7. You can run it up to five if you want. And then with the ascension of Trey Murphy, you have him. He's he's giving you 12 points and four rebounds, shooting the ball 39% from three, and he's shooting over 60% on true shooting percentage. A guy like Herb Jones, he he's one of the, to me, one of the better defenders in the NBA and one of the most underrated players. And he's also a guy giving them contribution, pouring in 10 points, three rebounds, two assists, and I believe he's averaging just about two steals. Then you have a guy like Jose Alvarado, where he's a, he's scrappy, who'll get up in your grill, who'll play defense. He's averaging a steal a game. He's averaging nine points coming off the bench, and he's also shooting 38% from the three. And then when I go into the stats, I just think of their big three. You have C.J. McCollum, who's giving you 18 points and five rebounds to go along with those six assists, like I said. Zion Williamson is giving you 25 points a game, seven rebounds, and he's shooting 65% on true shooting to go along with those four assists, like I said. And then I look at Brandon Ingram, bro. Brandon Ingram is giving you 25 and four, shooting 46% from three. And he's only a couple points away from being in that 50, 40, 90 club. He's shooting, I believe, 47% from the field. Like I said, 46% from uh, three. And I believe he's at 88% from uh, the free throw line. So he's really close to 50, 40, 90. Uh, To me, I feel like although Zion Williamson is probably their best player, um, I'm not sure how to say it, but sometimes I feel like Brandon Ingram is their most viable player a little bit because he does everything. He can score the ball. He could create a shot for, for himself. He could create a shot for others. He could go out there and play make. He can, he, he's a great defender for his size, for size. And by size, I mean his weight. Um, he's a great attacker of the realm, good rebounder. There, there's nothing on the court Brandon Ingram can't do, uh, you could put him at the point guard and he could go out there and give you a point guard type of game where he could give you like maybe 25 points to go along with six, six rebounds and eight assists. Um, I feel like Brandon Ingram is what somewhat makes the offense go. Brandon Ingram makes Zion Williamson a lot better. He makes CJ McCollum a lot better. Uh, Dyson Daniels, like you mentioned, he's been a really stellar defensively. And when he gets his opportunity, he gives them, he gives them a lot of energy. Um, for me, I look at their ceiling. I feel like they could be a, a Western Conference Finals team competing for a chance to go to the finals. Uh, so far this year, the West has been a little shaky and we know the West a lot of times is the best conference. Um, I'm confident in their abilities, man. Like you said, to me, the Suns are kind of iffy, but I'm confident in, in them come playoff time just because they have that experience. But at the same time, if they match up with the Pelicans again, in the playoffs like last year, the Pelicans, that series, that, that series gave them playoff experience. Only one who's lacking that experience is Zion Williamson, and I feel like his game will translate just fine to the playoffs. Um, so I feel like it's going to be a dogfight between them, uh, uh, between them, Memphis, and Phoenix, uh, oh, and, and the, and the Nuggets. And you know, once playoff time come, when they're healthy, the Warriors are always a threat because of that veteran leadership. But I, I have a lot of expectations for this Pelicans team. Um, they they get they get everyone on that team contributes, man. Like you were saying, Kyrie Willie Green, he could potentially be coach of the year. Uh, the things he do for them is amazing. The sets he runs, his poise. You know, they they just have a a good overall team. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Johnny?
Uh, well, pretty much, um, what you and Kyrie said, you guys pretty much covered it. Excellent stats, excellent, excellent numbers, core. I had the same exact numbers you had. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I feel the same way. I am actually surprised. I will say I didn't know what they were trying to do with the McCollum trade either. Um, but hey, I will say this, um, him between, but these guys, I'm not going to lie. I feel like, well, you're right. Brandon Ingram, he probably, in my opinion, he probably is the second best player on the team, but I feel like, the media has overlooked him as far as wing players of his position. I've always been a personal fan of Brandon Ingram. Um, he's especially ever since he won the most improved player of the year, I think he's been just been going up from there. And, and I'd like you said, he's shooting 46% from three, almost 47% from three, which is awesome. Averaging 25 points. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And CJ McCollum, like you said before, he's averaging about almost what six assists. 18 points a game, five boards, Zion's killing it, still being healthy. Between the three of them together, they're averaging about 66.17 boards and 15 dimes a game. Between, so that, if that's not a bit, if that's not an underrated big three, I don't know what is. Now, I will say, their bench, they probably, I wouldn't be mad if they may, if they try to dip or dabble, dip and dabble in the trade deadline for their bench, specifically. But they, I mean, I wouldn't try too hard. They're still top ten scoring bench, bench wise. So, um, I'm, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to fix a couple holes in their supporting cast. But overall, I'm very, very like I had a feeling about this team. And I, I just want to add a quick side note. Uh, Grand Theft Alvarado, he is Jose Alvarado, one of my favorite guards. He's got that signature move. You got to watch it back with him. He will pluck anybody from behind. Yeah, uh, and the way we were just saying how they're kind of like, uh, I believe Kyrie was saying they're kind of one of the like few teams in the NBA that's like deep from top to bottom. Bro, they're a team where it's like, they're kind of so deep, bro, where there's players on their roster that like, who are capable of getting minutes that's falling out of their rotation a little bit. When you look at a guy like Devontae Graham, and then you look at a guy like, uh, Kyra Lewis Jr., where it's like those guys, they, they don't have the same opportunity that maybe a year ago because of the ascension of Trey Murphy and how well Dyson Daniels has been playing in his minutes. But um, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie and Johnny and Colin, uh, question for the three of you guys. Like, I, how do you guys feel about, like, how I said uh, about, like, although Zion is their best player, Brandon Ingram is kind of, like, the more valuable one in certain aspects? Uh, I actually really agreed with that. I agree with that very much because I agree. And I put that to the point that Johnny made, whereas uh, Brandon Ingram gets overlooked a lot. When you talk about top wings, top forwards, small forwards in the league, Brandon Ingram really gets looked over a lot. And um, he's just sad because he's one of the few ones that have a complete game where he isn't the greatest defender, but on the offensive end, again, can create his own shot, can get buckets and uh, could create for other people. So uh, I definitely agree with that. But one other point I'll make is while uh, Brandon Ingram is out, I want to see Zion start uh, looking for more spot-up opportunities from three. I've seen him hit one like it was nothing um, a few games ago when they were playing the Jazz. It was a tight game that went into overtime. He hit a spot-up three in crunch time. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, he, he has the potential to hit those at least one a game, two a game here and there. And just to be able to make guys respect them, I think once guys start respecting them to start being, he shoots it to the point where guys can close out. It'll make the Pelicans a lot more lethal because he has that passing ability. He has that ability to make reads and uh, catch guys hunting and has that physicality to get to the rim. 
So uh, yeah. Well, darn, darn his uh his his play his NBA debut. I'm sorry, not playoff. His NBA debut. How, he didn't miss from three. Yeah, he shot like like four four. Yeah, I think he shot three four of them. Yeah, there you go. And on top of that, yeah, like I right. said, Brandon Ingram. He's and on and Brandon Ingram. No, to answer your question, absolutely. I like I said before, he's been held it down even before. Um, the, uh, uh, even before Zion came back healthy and real quick, um, we talked about the Kyle Kuzma trade, um, as far as like, uh, I mentioned him being with the Lakers back in that tenure. Um, and he's one of the pieces that moved on and ended up being like, you know, holding his own Brandon Ingram. You can add him to that list too. He left the Lakers, I think went right before LeBron got there. And, um, he's been, he's never the year, the year after. That's what I was saying. Yeah. He played, he played, he played uh, a year with LeBron LeBron's first year there. All right. Well, I mean, I think I'm excited for the Pelicans, just like these guys are excited for the Pelicans. Uh, I can't wait. But that concludes episode 83 of the Restricted Zone podcast. A great episode indeed. I want to give a big shout out to my fellow co-hosts, Johnny, Kyrie, and Corday. Appreciate you guys. Hopefully they enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording this episode. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Restrictors on Buy. You can also follow us individually or respectively on Instagram. It'll be inside of the description below. You can also give it. To, you can hey Johnny. So you can also um, you can also give us a follow, share, support. Follow us on on Instagram. You can check us out on all streaming platforms as well. Apple and Spotify. We're there. We're free and we're available. Share, support, share with your friends, and definitely check us out for the next episode. Thank you. Peace.